Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of our podcast, The Roots Running Sessions. I'm Richie Hansen, coach of The Roots Running Project, and in this episode, I sit down with Frank Lara to recap his string of incredible 2020 performances, including a U.S. title and an automatic Olympic track trials qualifier. He's a tough, gritty athlete who should be one of your new favorite athletes to root for. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Before that race, I kind of had a blind confidence of, like, I'm just as good as those guys and, like, didn't really have anything to show for it in my mind. And then since the track race, I've been, that's now become more realistic to me, and I now find myself thinking I can take on anyone. Hi, Frank. Howdy. Frank here. Coming at you live from your own apartment and me from my house. Yep. So, nice here. Yeah, like we normally record these podcasts in the office, but we're we're doing this remotely from each other right now, so there might be a little bit of an echo on Frank's audio, but we're giving it a try so that we could get this out before we head down to Arizona this next week. Um, Frank, you've had an incredible 2020, so part of why I wanted to sit down with you is we recorded a podcast with you back in... March after the 15k champs but then COVID hit and everything kind of shut down for a while and then the content that we discussed seemed a little outdated at the time and since then you've trumped yourself a little bit with how you've performed with some of these more recent competitions so I figure it was a little bit more pertinent to just kind of recap the year as a whole so you're now a wanted man on podcasts with a couple other ones also seeking out your your voice. So I figure we we would get you in advance of of some of those other ones. So I appreciate you sitting down with me. I know your your schedule is incredibly busy on a Saturday. Well, Rich, you're the one person I can't say no to. <laughs> yeah. I'm the one that controls the work output that you you have to do. So it's it's good if we stay on good terms, right? Yeah, I test a lot of this year's success to you. So, well, I, I appreciate to pay you back. Yeah, I appreciate that. You've you've done you've done a lot of great work. Um, one of the uh, when we're recapping some of these races, I'll kind of let you tell the story of what happened. I'll kind of chime in with a couple of questions here and there. Um, but really, what I want you to do is just kind of be able to tell more of a story of what went on in those races. Um, to give people at home a little bit more context. Um, real quick, do you want to recap, uh, say what your PRs were in college coming out? Because you just graduated last spring from Furman in 2019. Uh, in college, I ran 28.47 for 10K, and 13.56 was my best 5K. And coming out of college, um, you and I talked a little bit about it this past weekend. Uh, you had some options to join some pro groups. Um, you ended up joining us out here in Boulder. You were familiar with Boulder already, being a counselor and a camper when you were in high school at, at the Boulder running camps. Bo was Boulder always kind of a target for you from a training spot post-collegially? It was always a dream home destination. I mean, when I, ever since I moved here, every run I'd done, it like threw 
on like the Boulder Creek path kind of is very reminiscent of camp. So I just like think about, and that's kind of where running started for me. So just like every run I do there, it's just kind of all circles back to the beginning of it. So it makes it helps me see how far I've come and it's just a nice place to be. Yeah. And you and I, I mean, we didn't have like a super deep history, but I knew of you of being a camper and obviously a counselor as I was a speaker at the camp a couple of years and then you reached out to me right before your senior year about potentially Boulder being a place that you you could see yourself. And um, after you graduated, obviously, we we touched base pretty soon after. And fall kind of started off on a rough, a rough note. Like we knew you were in good shape, but your first two competitions, you had some cramping issues in your side. Um, kind of talk about that real quick with the 10 Mile Champs and Big Sur. Um, because what you did at Houston obviously was a, a huge performance, but we knew you were capable of that back in the fall. It just didn't come together on those two days. Yeah. I mean, those first couple races, I never run longer than 10 K and I think just kind of the new distance, anything longer than that, just kind of like around seven, eight miles, I started getting those cramping issues and, um, ended up having to walk, jog, run the rest of the race. And going into Houston, my like main goal was not running or not walking. So it's weird to think about when your goal is to not walk during a race and break 62 for the first time. Yeah, but that's what's, that's what's crazy about like, okay, so starting with the 10 mile champs, like you were in the lead pack at what, mile seven? And then you were about to surge to try to push to the front of the group and your your side cramped up your hip flexor cramped then like you said you had to kind of walk jog the last two two and a half miles and still averaged what 440 pace or four, or uh 453 or something like that yeah something like that i around 10 six miles i was thinking wow i'm feeling great i'm gonna win this race and then went from that to feeling terrible very quickly so it was weird to put it all together and actually at Houston I kind of had a similar thing come up around the same distance and I part of it I think was experience part of it was me it, I, I fell off the group for a bit it was shortly after seeing a few of my friends that were there spectating and turning to somebody in the field to say hey look those are my friends and then the then the side campaign I was like oh no you still have so long and I kind of fell off the group for a bit, and I looked up and was like, no, I can get over this. And I surged back and caught back up, and like a few miles later, it was gone. Yeah, you, you told me of, you willed it away. Yeah, that's what I like to think. Yeah. And since then, it hasn't really happened again. So. Yeah, and Houston was interesting because you weren't actually part of the elite field. You were part of the development field. So you... You started behind all the elite half marathoners, behind all the elite marathoners. And so that first mile, you kind of had to surge and weave through people in order to get up to the group that you wanted to be with. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I'm pretty small. So on the starting line, <laughs> I kind of weaseled my way through some people. And probably 200 meters in, I was already where I wanted to be. So it wasn't that big of a uh, challenge getting through the people, but... Once I got through, it just kind of stuck in. Yeah, and you ran 61.48 gun time. I think chip time was, what, 61.50? Yeah. 
somewhere around there. So that's just from standing be- starting behind people. Yeah, and that's still, I mean, that's still one of the fastest uh, half marathoners of all time in the U.S. I think it's like top 35 from what I remember. From there, you ended up going to the U.S. 15K Champs, which was about six, eight weeks later. And it was two weeks after the marathon trial, so we knew that the field wouldn't be as deep as historically it is this time of year, but it was still going to be a good field. And you and I kind of talked about going into it, about just sticking your nose into it, and if you feel like you're in a place to surge, to surge. And we knew that that big hill was about a mile, mile and a half from the finish. Kind of talk through the final stages of that race. I mean, it was it started out pretty conservatively, and probably a mile before the hill there started to be some moves being made and the real kicker was Reed Buchanan who had a hard move and kind of uh, was was the only one that really went for it right before then and I just hung on to him as long as I could and like up the hill we were both still plugging away and I think at that point we had kind of I mean, in my head, it seemed like we had dropped everybody, but looking at the, like, videos of it, or, like they were, like, right behind us, so it's, like, not that much of a surge we did, but... But you guys did we, gap them. Like, you did have a little bit of space. Yeah, so we did gap them, and then as we crested the hill, I decided, all right, time to go, and I took the lead and went down the massive climb, and, and I was just kind of in shock i was like i'm leading my i was gonna say my first u.s championship because i'm not really counting the 10 mile champs (laughs) um (laughs) that's yeah that's that was like your practice run yeah (laughs) i was leading and uh the athlete who shall not be named ended up passing me towards the end and i remember thinking oh wow that guy's gonna win (laughs) and uh when we got back to the flat part um B.S. Mbasa and Zach Panning kind of came up on my shoulder, and I realized, oh, wait, there's still a race going on. And I, like, kind of uh, got my mind back in shape and held them off and started surging. And then as we were approaching the finish line, I realized I was gaining on the guy ahead of us. I was like, oh, I could actually beat him. And I tried, came up a little short, but ended up being okay in the end. Yeah, and you detailed this uh, a lot on the Clean Sport Collective podcast with Kara Goucher where there was a lot of controversy after that finish because the guy that had originally run the race, he had just come off of a pretty long drug ban and now was eligible to compete at the U.S. Championships, ended up beating you by one second on that day. Um, There was obviously a lot of social media Con, uh, discussion about whether he should have been allowed to compete. You and I talked about it a little bit because both of us had a little bit of that same frustration, but like you put it almost perfectly where you said, yeah, but I shouldn't have let him beat me to begin with. Like you wish you would have beat him that one second because then there, the, the dialogue surrounding the race would have been completely different. Fast forward to August, September time, drug results from that race end up coming back not clean for the athlete that ended up winning. So then you got named the winner. What was, was it, was it vindication 
in August, September, or was it still a little bit of bittersweet, bitter taste in your mouth based on what had taken place? It was, it's nice to have, but it was kind of, kind of a little bit of indifference about the whole thing, just because like I'd already moved on and was training for other things. So like I I already had like a spectacular day that day and was already super proud of how I did. So like, I mean, I would have been a little prouder that day if I had won, but like looking back on it, it's like, he just took that moment away from me. So like anything, anything I felt after it was just kind of like a, Oh, well next time. Yeah. And I know you said the race director had emailed you to say, we hope you're, you're back. And your response was like, I, I look forward to, to trying to win next year, which is, yeah. which is right. Like you don't want to have to think about who's clean and who's not when you're racing. You just want to be able to race and be content with the results regardless of how they shake out after. Yeah, definitely. And I'm excited for Gate River 2021. Yeah. Let's, let's hope Gate River 2021 ends up going on. Yeah. So right after Gate River, I think it was the next week is when everything kind of shut down and track season obviously didn't look like it was going to happen. We ended up canceling practice as a whole until end of June. Everyone was kind of running and training on their own. But you came out of that in in really good shape. You were you were one of the athletes that really kind of just put your head down and and ended up finding a new level of fitness coming out of that. What what was that like? Kind of you you went from having a group there to train with to now doing everything solo. You're obviously somebody that has the ability to push well on your own. We saw that even on the lead up to some of these races, what was it that was kind of the driving factor be, uh, to, to try to, to find something to motivate you during that time? Cause there was a lot of athletes that said, you know what, I'm just going to shut it down right now. Cause what's the point of training hard? I mean, I, with everything being canceled, I kind of looked at the whole situation as like an opportunity for me to get ahead just cause like, Looking back, if the pandemic hadn't happened, which obviously we all wish it hadn't, um, I don't think I would have been in a spot to compete at the Olympic trials where I am now. So, like, looking back on it, I think a lot of it's just because I had all this time to really get myself in the shape and really focus on what I was doing. And I think the time away from racing kind of, like, reminded me that I'm not I'm I'm running because I love to run so like the hard thing about it was not doing it with people but it really made me appreciate that I'm still just healthy and able to train so yeah and obviously we've been very grateful to all the meet directors that have found a way to still have competitions during this time Um, but like you said I mean it gave you an opportunity to make to close the gap a little bit on some of the people that you knew that you were capable of competing with just needed a little bit more development in order to do that. And 
I mean, this last weekend was a testament to that being an automatic qualifier now for the Olympic trials that you're near now entering that year two, which we've always said with post-collegiates is kind of a key time. If you, if you perform well in your first year as a post-collegiate, it's a bonus, but going into year two is really where you see the biggest, the biggest leap. You're now scratching the surface of that. And the spring kind of gave you a sounding board in order to prepare yourself to handle what you needed to this fall. I mean, coming off the first year, I accomplished a lot, but at the same time, a lot of the races didn't go how I wanted, so it's kind of left me, uh, I got a taste of where I want to be, but like, I knew there's still a long way to go, so it's been good to have a chance to really work at it. Yeah, that first competition back was in Utah. It was a a small 5K. Was there any apprehension from you at first about travel to go to a competition? Because to to some, it's like, is it safe to compete? Is it responsible to even go and try and compete? And obviously, your significant other is is in uh, her her masters for trying to work towards public health and. There, there was. I know there, there had to have been some apprehension about just the idea of traveling across state lines in order to go and do that. Yeah, I mean, so that race was in um, August, uh, middle of July. It was like July fourteenth or fifteenth, somewhere around there. So that was the first post during pandemic race that I competed in and there, there was definitely some I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it I wasn't sure if it was plausible to I, I, I had no cons- I was certain the meet would be fine and like the Ben Rosario and Josh Cox were organizing a super safe event but I just wasn't sure about the actual travel of it all um, and we ended up driving to just kind of avoid contact with other people but it was definitely hard to like figure out if it's worth it. But, um, ultimately we thought if we follow all these guidelines and stay safely away from people, we'll, we only stayed in Airbnbs and go to any hotels. We kind of just kind of, um, we're, we're the safest we could be while at the same time still being able to compete. So it was good to like, I don't know if you, in order to race, you have to take it seriously. Yeah, and there's, I mean, at that time too, the idea of testing, getting testing done was still not as a, as efficient in a lot of areas as it is now. Um, so that was a challenge for you guys as well because you needed two negative COVID tests prior to, to traveling to competition. Um, and it was still, it took a while to get results back. Fortunately, they were still doing on-site testing, like, there was still some of that uncertainty surrounding it as well. Yeah, for that event, that was before um, USATF had released any guidelines. So there was, I believe we only needed one negative test before the event, and it was at the time when testing kind of first started up. So like, I, I didn't even get my result back until three weeks later after yeah. I got tested. Yeah. But they had on-site testing that I fortunately was able to test negative and was able to race. 
Yeah, and I think one of the goals Ben was trying to to temper Ben Rosario, coach of NAZ Elite, was trying to temperature test was can they pull it off safely? Can they they do it in an environment where the athletes can kind of contain themselves uh, to be able to come out of the event healthy? Um, and it ended up being a success where we we saw some of the work that they did transition into some of the work that these other meet directors did kind of taking the lead from, from what, what they tried to do with their event. So it was, it was fun. It was fun for you guys to have that, you and Maggie to have that opportunity to compete at. And obviously grateful for, for Josh and Ben to be able to take the steps to do it safely, but even more so serving as a, as a framework for how other, other meet directors uh, should be should be conducting their events, and I should yeah, backtrack. Definitely. I should backtrack before that Utah race too, because you did do the Fourth of July race up in Fort Collins, but that was such a that I mean that was a cool but also a very bizarre format where it was five athletes. It was technically a virtual race, but everyone was on site. You just all started. You you ran the race individually. And they started you guys at separate times, but then they, on the, the feed, they split screened it as if you were all racing side by side, which made that unique as well. Yeah, that was a really cool experience too. I mean, it was probably as safe as you can get with a race in terms of um, COVID and everything. So it was, that was the first like hard effort I did following the 15K champs. So it was cool to be a part of. Yeah, and for everyone listening at home, it's it's called the Firecracker Ten Five uh, K, and they have the uh, race feed up on YouTube. And to me, that was a really creative format when everything was still early on with trying to figure out how to do competitions with how the Fort Collins Running Club ended up hosting that. And it was a good indicator for us, even though it was up here at altitude, of just the type of fitness that you and Maggie were in going into some of these other races later in summer and and this fall. Yeah. I, after being in altitude for a bit, I'm realizing that racing at altitude is very different from training at altitude. So it's really hard, but it's fun to do once you have the opportunity. Yeah. Now there was a couple local track meets Lee troop put on. We kind of use those as time trials in preparation for the sound running event that was at the end of August, um, that we knew you were going to target the 10 K and trying to improve on your, your college PR. We knew the race would be good and they would be pacing it pretty fast, particularly for Edward Cesarek. They were, they were shooting for around 2730 for him. We didn't necessarily want you going out the 2730 group, but that second group we knew would kind of hover in that 28 flat to 28-20 race. And you guys had a big group for a long time. Um, and you even took the lead of that group on the back end. Uh, so kind of talk about that because that was like your big springboard for the fall. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't raced the 10K on the track since my senior year at Furman. So it was kind of I was a little scared going back to like like – a lot of my success in running had all had all come from the roads, really, and hadn't really had a track breakout at the time. So it was 
I had a chip on my shoulder to prove that I like not only run on the road. So I, um, when the race started, um, I find that people are really eager to be in the front of 10Ks, and I don't understand why. But I went straight to the back comfortably, and whenever a gap formed in front of me, I would just pass the person and move on to the move on up cl- up towards the front of the group. And by the end of the race, I we were um, Edward Tezrek and Germa Machezo had. They had a, a pretty big gap on everyone, but I was in a group of five and or four or five, and with like 500 to go, I was like, "Oh wow, <laughs> I'm right here with all these really good runners." I took the lead or went into third and uh, tried making a move on some really good guys. And around 300 to 250 to go, I kind of got in my head. I was like, "Wait." How am I beating? How am I ahead of all these people? And, I, and then, then sure enough, they passed me, and I kind of trailed on in. But uh, it was, I was disappointed. I wasn't able to close down harder. But I got, a, I came out of that race with a lot of confidence, knowing that I can be in a good position with a lot of really good guys, and I just need to figure out the last bit. Yeah, and that was a uh, thirty-seven second PR that night, right? Because twenty-eight ten. Yeah. Yeah. And so that one, we were like, okay, that's a, that might be good enough now to get you into the Olympic trials. The automatic standard was 28 flat, um, but we knew that that would be close enough. So if nothing else happened the rest of the year, that would have been a good enough mark that we can kind of shoot, shoot, use for next year. Um, what was it like? A, a, A lot of the guys in that group were guys that you had raced in college, but it also, beaten you pretty easily in college and now you find yourself in the final lap closing kicking with those guys when you're when you're racing against a lot of the people that you're familiar with from college now is it is it in the moment kind of a shock of i'm able to stay with this guy now or is it more of this you've got tunnel vision on when you're racing and you're just passing bodies regardless of who that person might be I mean, in, in that race, I kind of it kind of overwhelmed me a bit thinking about who I was with. But since then, I've kind of like before that race, I kind of had a blind confidence of like I'm just as good as those guys, and like didn't really have anything to show for it in my mind. And then since like I've since the track races I've been a part of, I that's now become more realistic to me and I now find myself thinking that um, I can take on anyone and my I, I tell people that my motto in all this is that anyone can do anything I've come a long way and I've really enjoyed um, competing against the people that I, when I was in college I always thought were so far ahead of me and now it's like these are the guys I can race against what uh so after after the August ten K we ended up going out to Michigan for a week. Um we had two competitions out there. One was the Ekidin relay, uh where three men, three women from the different professional groups competed against each other in different distances. And then 
we we stayed out there for the the Michigan Pro Half Marathon the following week, and you ended up finishing second by a second in that race. Um, it came down to a, a sprint kick in in the the half marathon between yourself, Tyler Day from NAZ Elite, Scott Fobble from NAZ Elite, and Morgan Pearson, um, who's a triathlete but was an All American while he was at CU for cross country and track. What was the experience like running the Ekiden, which is a unique format for professional running, at least here in the U.S. Um, and then, what was it like in, in the half marathon? You were the one kind of dictating a lot of those surges, and ended up coming in, coming down to that 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 kick finish. The Ekiden was very fun, very hard. Um, I, looking back on it, I wish I had tied the sash better <laughs> so I wasn't like flying around I spent most of the race trying to keep it from falling off my shoulders but um and it was windy not, that day too so yeah it was super windy I'm not saying that that's the reason I didn't race as well as I hope I don't think that would have changed <laughs> but um I mean that was Tyler Day put on an incredible race that day and he basically took the lead pretty early on and didn't look back and I hung on for dear life. Um, and, uh, him and Zach Panning ended up breaking, uh, pulling away from me and they had a good race up front and I ended up just running as hard as I could that day. But, um, going into it, I knew that I was really getting ready for the half the next week. So I didn't really take too much um, it kind of took my performance with a grain of salt. It was like, that's not my business. I'm getting ready for the next race. So, but that was, that was kind of cool that it was you three up front because you, you three are also some of the younger ones new to the sport on the professional level. And also three future faces of 10 K half marathon marathoning. Um, so it was kind of cool to see you guys, Tyler day put on a clinic and and Zach Panning ran really well, and you rode those their coattails that day, trying to keep it close. Um, but then to come back the next week and and be able to compete really well against those guys, Zach was a was a pacer in that half, so he didn't he didn't actually race. Um, and Zach at this past 10k ended up running low 28s, which was a huge PR for him. And Tyler Day, I think, would have been in contention to run that sub 28 as well. Um, had he not had an Achilles injury that happened mid race, but that was kind of cool to see that it wasn't like names that a lot of people are familiar with on the post collegiate level, even though you guys were all talented collegians, but it was cool to see you three kind of duke it out up front of that Ekiden half or the Ekiden relay. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I mean, in college, I, it, when, when Tyler had, broken away i was just thinking wow this is just like any cross-country meet i've ever been in (laughs) with fewer people in between you guys though yeah (laughs) (laughs) many more people but um yeah i mean we're all young and i think we have kind of a foothold in the future of this sport on the men's side so i'm really excited to see how three of us improve over the next few years as well. Yeah. And I, I think the other cool thing is like the, those other two guys, they're also really good guys. So it's like 
they're fun to compete against because they're talented. They're also fun to compete against because they're, they're good people. Um, and so it's like, you guys definitely want to beat each other, but it's, it's also exciting to see their success. Cause it's also a driving force, I think, to some of the success that you've been having too. Yeah, definitely. I think I've definitely painted a target on my back with my 10 K for a lot of the guys who are around my age. So I'm excited to see where I'm excited that that'll put me in a position where I can compete, continue to compete with these guys at an even higher level. Yeah. Now at the, the Michigan pro half, I heard that Morgan Pearson came up to you before the race and said, so I hear you're the favorite. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what Morgan said. And <laughs> I was like, wow, thanks Morgan. <laughs> but then during the race, what did you say to him? Um, so towards the end, probably about a quarter to go, I had been leading and Morgan came off my shoulder and I was like, okay, time for the final surge. And I turned on, I go, all right, let's go favorite. And <laughs> he ended up crushing me, but I, it was probably the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> like on the back half of a, of like a road race. So it was, it was just playful. It was fun. So I want you to correct me if I phrase this wrong, but when I asked for your recap after the race, you said, well, we were kind of all in a group and then we hit about 5k to go. So I surged and I thought people would come with me, but nobody did. And then I hit the wind. So that kind of sucked. And then they caught me and then I tried to surge again and then they caught me again and I tried to surge one more time, but they still beat me. That's, yeah, that's the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. So you just got to, like, at, at uh, 15K champs, it was the unex- unexpected nature that some guy passes you in the last half mile after you just surged to the front. Now you were kind of trading off blows with guys trying – you would punch, they'd counter punch, and then you'd get to the last quarter mile where it was the four of you just in an all-out sprint, which may, I think that was one of the most exciting – half marathon finishes I think I had seen. And I had heard other coaches say the same thing on the day, just with four of you right there running that fast. Um, but then a month month forward, now we're at the, the track meet, you had already run 28.10 at the 10K in August. You're coming off of that half. Like, to use a phrase that Noah uses – you were kind of playing with house money where you had already run a time that we could be content with for the season. So it's like, what the hell just go for broke and go out with that lead group trying to be paced at 2730. Yeah. I mean, going into it, I, I mean, I knew there was pacers going at that pace and I had put myself in a position where, all right, the next jump is, that's the next jump I need to make. So I didn't really have anything to lose going into it. So, and I training had been going super well and I was felt I was ready for that. And, um, it was surreal to cross the line. And I mean, I didn't get the time I was hoping for, but I still PR'd and was now a sub 28, 10 K guy. And I just over a year ago, I was, breaking 29 barely. So it was just kind of like, wow, I've come this far and I don't see anything slowing me down right now. So I'm 
I don't know. I'm, it was really surreal, but I am really excited for the next opportunity I get to try to run even faster. Yeah, and the guys. I mean, your 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 time put you ranked sixth in the country this year. Obviously, there just hasn't been that many competitions either. But the competitions that did happen were all pretty world class at the at the ten k. Um, one of the guys that you came up on, you came up on Joe Klecker's shoulder. I think it was with about a mile to go, and that was a guy that had a, a lot of attention coming out of uh, a lot of uh, out of college had a very successful collegiate career your shoulder to shoulder with him and you guys were i think you ended up helping him in that final stretch cuz he ended up closing pretty well and running 2735 so it helped him kind of bridge the gap back to some of those guys um you got out kicked faded a little bit over the final 800 by by Robert Brandt who had an incredible race as well coming from behind um he's somebody that's been very complimentary to you about uh the success that you've been having this last year and vice versa i he messaged uh we were messaging each other complimenting how you did and how he did and i said like dude i didn't even know it was you that was passing frank and so i'm glad if someone was going to be like i don't like don't want people beating you but if it was going to be somebody that was going to beat you i'm glad it's someone that can match his toughness because he's a tough competitor every time he he races so it was cool to see like again, some of the younger faces within the sport have these big breakthroughs on that night. In addition to seeing some of the, the Eric Jenkins and the Hillary Boers, like Olympians that like have been established people for a, for a number of years. Yeah. I, it was super cool. I mean, I, even though I was cooling down with Robert Brandt and when he had passed me, I, in my head, was like, all right, I can be, I can take Robert. I can take him. And I tried hanging on, and that didn't last very long. <laughs> and <laughs> I was telling that, telling him that in our cool down, and then we both kind of, like, we're just super excited. Because we, we both have had, like, a very similar progression from um, the past couple of years of, like, where our 10Ks were before. So, like, I don't know. He's somebody that I I – really enjoy competing with because he's on the same trajectory that I am. So it's just been really cool to see that we're both there and like, we're starting to grasp at the heels at some of these guys that have already made it to the lip, to the world championships and so on. So it's just, I don't know. I think I'm really excited for us and we're, like I said, all the young guys are in a really good spot right now. Yeah, and, and Robert obviously is a fifth year at, at Georgetown, so he still has his, his final year of eligibility left. So he was one of the unsponsored athletes that broke sub-28, you being the other one. Sponsorship has now become more of a realistic possibility for you. You weren't in consideration for an individual sponsorship out of college. You were more inclined, the, the stuff that was there was to join more of a sponsored group. And even now, like you could join most of the sponsored any of the sponsored groups in the country, if you wanted to. You just, you haven't decided to go that route. The sponsorship, how, how should I phrase this? Because sponsorship is like something that a lot of collegians aspire towards when they're graduating. To me, my perception for you is it's not that's not what you need, but it's a nice to have. It's not I need to have that. It's like does sponsorship, does sponsorship matter to you or is it more something that like 
yeah, I'd love if I got sponsored because one of the things that you had talked about on our run the morning after the race was, I mean, I could have joined one of those other groups, but like, I think I'm running the fastest that I could have this past year being here, which was nice for me to hear, obviously, as that coach, because you, you bet on me to help you improve. But it's also something where it's it's not all about just being sponsored. You have To me, I took that as you have to kind of be happy in the environment that you're at. Boulder being a place that you really enjoyed. You and I have a good relationship as a coach and athlete. Your significant other being being there as kind of a, a good support system for you while she's also working towards her master's degree. Um, what is kind of in your hierarchy of athletic achievements? Like what does sponsorship mean? Is it a driving force for what you do when you compete? Or is it more of like, well, if it happens, great, but um, you're ultimately like your competitive goals are driven by something different. I mean, right now, I wouldn't say sponsorship is a goal. I don't know if it'll ever necessarily be, but I, all I've been thinking about in my training and workouts and races is just running fast enough so I can be in a position to, to qualify for the Olympics. And like, um, that being said, I, I'm running the fastest I ever have with the setup I have here in Boulder with, um, no sponsorship right now, but, um, I, it definitely wouldn't hurt me, but I, (laughs) I think a lot of people would uh, find that if, if that's kind of a goal, once you have that, there's kind of like, it's, it's hard to like, um, use that as a stepping stone instead of kind of a peak. So I, if, when I get sponsored, I really want to make it a testament to not really, not, not that I've gotten to where I wanted to be, but as a good stepping point for where I want to be in the future. But, um, yeah, and I was talking about it with Howie the other day as well. Yeah, Howie's, Howie's your how, agent, Howie Kofleski. Yeah, about just I having the most success I could have in the Roots Running Project, and I'm super happy and fortunate that the bet I took on joining the group kind of has paid off, and I now have every confidence in the world that I'll be where I want to be as long as I keep doing what I'm doing. So do you view in, in that instance how do you how do you view professional running? Do you view it as this is this is this is your job or do you view it as like look your job you work for Strava, right? So it's like Strava is your job, running is your passion. Do you blur that line at all? Like you you've made some decent money this year as a runner. Is that a bonus? Or does that factor into like, I, you bought a PS5, so I know it's like there's part of that that's a bonus. And that's one of the questions that we got from somebody like, how did Frank get a PS5? Um, so I'll, 
let me answer the first part. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll talk about the PS5. Yeah, I I see it all as a bonus. I mean, I work so that I can compete and pursue my passion, which is running. So it's just kind of like putting everything together so that I can run well. And that's been finding a job. And um, luckily I found a job that will support me in this and will is flexible with training and traveling and everything. So it's just been, so having that kind of security allows me to be able to pursue my dream, which is to run. Now, how did you get a PS5? Well, um, I, along with many other people, had been um, stalking retailer websites and hoping for stock to return and being beaten out by bots in a matter of seconds to check these things out. Um, So I had notifications set up for a Twitter account that would post live uh, updates on any PS5 stock news. And the day of the, of the, of the 10 K in Michigan was the day I was able to secure my pre-order. I got a notification that Gamefly has people were starting to secure their PS5s there and I looked looked into it, started a Gamefly trial, ordered it and I couldn't believe it. It was after a rough morning, it was it was a very exciting day for me. But one of the best parts of this whole thing cuz what was it a week before the pre-order is you accidentally bought an extra PS4 because you were trying to prepare, like just, this is the epitome of you as an athlete, because you were trying to prepare as best as you can. You were also trying to familiarize yourself with the checkout process. Yeah. Uh, on a different site that I wasn't able to get a PS5 from, uh, they were announced that they were going to release stock the next week. So I looked into their checkout flow and, practice to see how fast I could click through it and I the screen said that if I click next it wouldn't order it but I ended up ordering so I ended up ordering a PlayStation 4 by accident and for a short short amount of time I owned two PlayStation 4s so I returned it that was my next question I was gonna say like if you still have the extra PS4 you can you can sign it and see if somebody would buy a Frank Frank, Lara, endorsed PS4. No, it's already been returned, but my other PS4 is currently not being used. It's very lonely on the shelf as it's been replaced now by the PS5. So if there's any interest in that one, I may consider selling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw in a Roots hat with the the, root, the Frank, Lara signed PS4. All right, so after the track meet, you run 2744. Huge, big breakthrough, obviously this past this past week, but you've got you've got some big things coming up this next weekend. You are the pacer for the marathon project at the two hundred nine zero zero pacing. Are you more nervous for being the pacer for that competition or running, knowing that you are about to run really fast at the the ten k on the track? I. I like to focus on what's coming up 
closer. So I, I don't know. It's nice to keep the bigger goals in the back of my head. But uh, after the track meet, I mainly been thinking about this marathon, and it's definitely not going to be easy to pace at four fifty five per mile. So it's just kind of. Um, getting my mind right because I know there'll be a lot of guys counting on me to do that. So I have been recovering. I'm really excited. Um, today's kind of the first day I didn't feel any kind of leftover pains from the 10 K last week. So it's, I'm excited for it. It'll be fun. Yeah. I was talking with Noah a little bit today. We were anticipating about 15 to 20 guys going out with you at that pace should be fun. It's going to be a flat, fast course. Looks like pretty ideal conditions. Um, your goal is to make it through 18, correct? Yeah. And it'll still be, I mean, running 18 miles at 455, like you said, is going to be, is going to be challenging. You and I had an ongoing joke before the 10K that the 10K was kind of your audition tape for whether you would get selected to pace the 455 group or whether you would be put pacing the 21130 group. So when you finished your track race, one of the first things you said as you stepped off was, do you think I'll get a pace the 455 group? <laughs> and I think I said, like, I don't know how they could tell you no. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, I joked about that, just thinking, like, maybe they'll let me pace the fast group if I run really fast. I have to do really well in this 10K so I can pace a really fast marathon. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the only reason to want to do well in a 10K. Yeah. Looking ahead, we know you'll be a good marathoner. Does running fast on the track in the 10K or running a fast marathon eventually excite you more? I mean, both carry different um, levels of excitement, but just from an event standpoint. I mean, right now, I think it's just the 10K, just probably more due to proximity and time because that's kind of what is on the calendar right now and what I want to get ready for. Yeah. And you have the auto standard now for the Olympic trials. So that is something we do want to try to shoot for, for you this next year is trying to hit the Olympic standard going into that. We know that you're capable of it. You're less than a second away per lap at hitting that. What do you think it's going to take outside of a little bit more fitness to be able to run that. Yeah, I mean, when at the track meet, when the guys up front ended up um, breaking away, they started running 64s for the last like couple of miles. And that was the point when I regret that when they started speeding up, I started slowing down. So looking back, if I could change that, I would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's what everybody's goal is at that juncture of the race. Yeah, but... um. I think the next chance I get, I'll, I'll be ready for that just with training and recovering and doing everything I can. Um, and I think a lot of that's just the confidence I have at that point in the race to think, all right, I can do this. So and I've done everything I could to put me in a position to do this. So uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm just, as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll find myself in a good spot. Is there is there a moment for you in those races where the flip switches from, okay, I'm going to tuck in and time trial this versus, okay, now I'm racing it? For the track meet, I didn't really 
feel like I was racing it because I kind of found myself in a place where I would, didn't really have anyone around me towards the end. And um, at the previous race, I had like put myself in a position where I was surrounded by a lot of really good guys. So I think it's just a matter of putting my keeping myself in the in the pack and once I'm in that position to be able to compete and close against those guys. Is there, uh, who, so far as a post-collegiate, who's been the toughest competitor that you faced? I think early on, when I first started, uh, Footsteps and Alase was kind of always at one of the, always at the races that I was going to. So, and we ended up rooming together towards the beginning at like a few of the races so I he was always kind of a post-collegiate mentor slash somebody I wanted to compete against um and he was supposed to be at the track meet so I was really excited to compete against him again but he ended up not not going um but he's probably the one the guy that I look forward to racing the most yeah, I, and I know you mentioned Robert Brandt earlier, too, as somebody that you enjoy racing. Is there a third that you'd throw in the, that list? Zach Panning. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I really wish that he had, had stayed in the half marathon, because I, I think he could run a pretty good half marathon. And um, at the earlier sound running event, he was in that group I was with, and he... Um, We've both been young guys having pretty good PRs, um, pretty good stepping stones towards in the beginning of our kind of professional careers. So he he's kind of always someone I'm excited to race to. One of the things I think that's helped you a lot this last year too is having some of the the older guys on the team that are also pretty easy to get along with, like like Ryan, Will, Noah. And, and Willie, and then last year, Alex. Um, what what have they meant to you as training partners, as people that have kind of helped show you a little bit on the post-collegiate side? Any piece of advice that they've given you that's kind of resonated? Um, I think the biggest advice that's resonated with me is from Noah. Not in any specific situation or anything, but he... He's kind of the the one person that I've worked out with, or one of the people that I've worked out with who, after all is said and done, he'll always come up to me, come up to me and tell me that I'm in really good shape and I'm ready to crush it. So it's just kind of, and he he's someone who's had a lot of success. So I see that as like, wow, this guy who has had a lot of success on the roads in the sport is telling me that I can be great. And I think that's kind of given me a lot of confidence. And um, something that also gives me a lot of confidence is how um, Willie thinks that I'll always destroy him in all of our workouts. (laughs) (laughs) Although he may not know it, that does help me (laughs) to know that he expects that. Well, I know Noah has a lot of confidence in your ability to help pace pace his that that, that front group that that he's going to try to go with this next weekend. Um, so it'll kind of be fun. Like I, I'm confident in all the the fitness of where everybody is, 
it'll be a, it'll be fun for me to be able to watch it all transpire, especially being on that four mile loop. I'll get to see it all multiple times. Um, you you got to experiment a little bit with bottles this week. Um, you actually did a pretty decent job of getting down fluids. Um, does that aspect of it make you nervous at all? I mean, a little bit, but as long as... I'm really good at following directions, as you know. So as long as I do what I'm told and drink X amount and at the right points, I think I'll be in a good spot. And you're the pacer, so everyone should give you the right of way when it comes to the tables, right? Yeah, so I'll have no problem getting to it. <laughs> yeah, you should be the first in line every single bottle stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't know what that's like because I've never been in a race that had them, so. Yeah. Well, it'll, it'll be, be a fun experience for you. Obviously, like, you've had an incredible 2020. 2021 will help you get to even new heights, especially the experience of competing at, at the new Hayward at the Olympic trials. Um, a lot of good stuff coming up in your future. So I'm, I'm lucky that you've put the trust in me and have obviously made us as a, as a group, uh, look good, but, uh, you have some big stuff individually coming up as well. So, um, it'll be exciting to see what you can do. And, um, the biggest thing I can say is if you do get sponsored, like your perspective on the sport, I think is what's going to carry you, uh, even further more so than the, the expectations that get placed on you. If you, if you do have that sponsorship attached to you. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to have, to have you and have the rest of the group as athletes, because I think the collective and the culture that you guys have formed together has made the success for everybody a lot more attainable. Yeah, I couldn't, wouldn't be where I am without you, and I'm super excited to see the rest of the guys compete because I know they haven't had a chance as much as I have. Um, so I'm very excited to guide them, <laughs> guide them through that race next week. And then you get a nice long break, which will be very well deserved for the holidays. Yeah, also excited for that. Yeah. Well, nice job this year, Frank. Obviously, we'll do more of these in the future with you to kind of update on some of the new stuff you, you've you been able to do. And um, look forward look forward to seeing what you could do this next weekend. Yep. See you all next year. <laughs> see you in 2021. Hopefully, we can see a little bit more of each other's face out of practice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Richie. Yeah, thank you.